Hello, hello, good people. This is the Real Estate Guru 254 podcast, and we're just coming up on episode number four. Welcome to this episode, dear listener. I got somewhat surprised, I think, when I said episode number four. (laughs) I suppose because I'm still trying to get past the launch. That's me feeling a bit daunted by the task ahead of us, but we're getting better at it, you know. My name is David Batia, founder of Real Estate Guru. I'm looking forward to today's conversation. In fact, I'm certain we're going to have to split this episode into two parts just because of how in-depth this is going to be. But I believe it'll be worth your time to catch both this episode and episode number five, which will follow shortly. You guys may not know this, but I have a really serious uh, cheering squad that's behind me and they really are the wind beneath my wings. I have always had their support. So we're introducing something new in each episode going forward. I shall be doing a shout out to someone who has been instrumental in making this podcast a reality. In each of the episodes going forward from today, until I run out of names or maybe run out of steam, whichever comes first, (laughs) I'll be mentioning the name of at least one person who has believed in me and has either given me the impetus to get going or even to get started. So I'm going to call these people your stars and I shall be awarding them a star for giving life to this podcast. I may mention them by name or I may simply tell you who they are to me and then leave it at that. That said, the first mention goes to my wife. You know, thanks for believing in me, sweetie, wherever you are. You're my number one, my eternal star. I couldn't have managed to do this without without your support and you more than anything else also your belief in me so thank you so much for just being there in that way listeners you may be wondering why am i acknowledging these people well because we don't get to get anywhere worthwhile in our lives without others journeying with us you know it is on the shoulders of the people in our lives that we sometimes get to ride towards growth you know they are our greatest support and anchor and without them you know other things we may achieve may be worthwhile so as i grow older i feel that success feels more worthwhile when i acknowledge those who have enabled it and also for me when it is shared with those who who wish me well i believe this is a a practice called gratitude and so i'm extending that not just to um, them but to you my listeners as well you too are our stars so in today's conversation we're going to delve into the preliminaries and the specifics as well of property transfer and registration in Kenya. As with all our episodes, my sincere hope is that, you know, listeners can pick up some beneficial knowledge uh, from this conversation, especially in understanding how to transact property in Kenya. So today's guest in this substantive conversation is not new to the podcast. Her name is Monica Mwangi and she is an advocate of the High Court of Kenya. Monica Karibu Sana to today's episode. Tafadali Salimia Wasikilizaji. Thank you very much, David. Monica Mwangi here. It's always a pleasure. So Monica, you said something very interesting before we started to record this episode, just as we were prepping, you know, before really digging into it. And you said, and I quote, the very first thing people need to do before anything else is to make sure that whatever property they are considering for purchase is quote unquote viable. And it got me thinking that perhaps before we delve into the more technical or legal aspects around purchasing, transfer and registration of property, that we could perhaps maybe in a more basic sense, define that word viable. What are the basics of property that is viable? What are the most fundamental aspects, you know, the intrinsic uh, qualities that would 
describe a property that is viable uh, so that you know we could even say or you know go as far as to say those properties that would make the list of properties that are not perhaps viable or should not be viable properties let's let's start from there what is viable okay so i, I looked i think for the most the simplest term you can use viable basically it's in the definition is it can i buy this property it translates to can I buy this property? You need to do that research before you put your money into it. So I think the first thing should be maybe to tell people that uh, about the tenant the tenures we have of property in Kenya and majorly there are two. There's freehold and there's leasehold. So free freehold This is for private land. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, I think now David has taken us back. We have okay, we have so much property in 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 Kenya, but uh, there is some property that is called community land or if you like state owned. So you see, and um, you see, there's property you could have a, a a plot in your area that is, you know, it's open and you don't know who the owners are or someone purports to sell that property but you end up finding out it's a property set aside maybe for community use it's supposed to have either a hospital or a market exactly so you need to ensure that number one the property is private owned you know owned by a person or a company but it's not community owned or state owned yes or you know uh, for a forestry you know like uh yeah, don't don't try to buy a forest. Exactly. Don't try to buy a national park. Yes, do not do that. <laughs> do not do park. not do that. Don't try to construct a permanent structure over a river. Yes, unless you take over a road reserve. Yes, or any other kind of public reserve. Yes. Exactly. So that is, I think that is. I don't want to say, you know, come on, but you know, just don't do that. <laughs> it should be a foregone. It should actually be a foregone conclusion. Yeah. But you would be amazed that it's ridiculous. But we've seen buildings being torn down. Yes. Built on on riparian reserves. Yes. We've had a politician actually once say that we should divert the river because <laughs> <laughs> because we should protect we protect an investment. But yes, those should be foregone conclusions naturally. Yeah. Um, yes. And now maybe we can then get into into land tenure and maybe you can tell us a little bit about that okay we, like i said we have two major forms of land tenure in kenya freehold and leasehold freehold is what is a, is a type of tenure that gives you absolute proprietorship over that property when i say absolute it means that property is yours without any kind of restrictions or reservations when you buy a property that is freehold it is absolutely yours right as opposed to leasehold leasehold yes the property is yours but sometimes leaseholds comes with restrictions you could find some leases have uh, you know regulations on the on the lease document themselves and also the leasehold you own the property for a certain period of time from the government which means essentially the property belongs to the government but the, the government has leased this property to you for a period of time is it usually 33 years or 99 years renewable renewal but uh, please there's one thing i need to say you need to apply for renewal the renewal is not absolute it's not automatic it's not guaranteed it is not guaranteed if I owned a piece of land that is leasehold yes. that the government would naturally even if i reapplied at the end of the lease that even if i reapplied that the government would naturally grant me renewal on the Yes, it's not it's not guaranteed, right? It's not guaranteed, but in most cases, if you are the uh, the current holder of the lease, it's you know, majorly you're going to have the renewal. But like I said, you have to apply. 
you will not assume that 99 years have lapsed so automatically because you continue staying there the lease is yours you have to apply for the renewal so when i say leasehold it means also you pay some 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 rent to the government yeah. it the rent varies from um the location of the property yeah. in nairobi county are, i believe are determined at the level of the municipality yes okay. exactly so the, the the fees that you pay as rent to the government is varies from uh, area to area so that is not standard okay. and yes both rent and, and i believe there's also rates rates yes rates rent to the central to the national government, national government rates to the county the government county yes okay yes so now we we know I just maybe another question. Yes. I I, I asked this question because it, it recently came up in, in a WhatsApp group that I mean um, what are the distinctions between the ownership documents? I know that for oh, freehold yeah, 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 yeah. for freehold land they there is a title deed, but yes. maybe you could tell us a little bit more about that. That's that that's a very insightful question, David. Uh, so the document of evidence, the, that evidence that you're the owner of the property, when it comes to freehold, it's called a certificate of title. When for, free, for freehold? For freehold, yes, it's called okay. a certificate of title. Is that for freehold or for leave? For freehold, it's okay. called a certificate of title. So try, we'll try to describe it. Nowadays, in the new regime, you know, obviously, land is owned under different laws regime. So the current one is what we call the Land Decision Act, or if you like, LRA. Uh, it's supposed to consolidate all the previous laws and all the other tenures on the regime into one you know into one act. yes yeah. but we are still we're not there yet so you will see it has it's the document that you have majorly has a seal a red seal at the bottom so when you're trying to look at the titles or the definition part you will see it's, it's it's written a certificate of title so when you come to the leasehold it's the same but it's written a certificate of lease a certificate of lease yes okay. certificate of so lease. those will be the distinctions between yes between the ownership documents for either leasehold or, or uh, a freehold, free yes, those are the best, those are ideally the evidence that you give to that, that you the proprietor of that property. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, the question does come up often, and then of course, as you've mentioned, the other distinction is mm -hmm. that one attracts garment rent and, um, and rates. rates, and the other does not. But I also believe there's another distinction, and that was affected when we promulgated the new constitution yeah. because and i don't know whether it's in effect but i'm aware that under the new constitution freehold land is not owned technically by foreign is that true yes actually yes 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 so a foreigner cannot uh, own yes they can only own uh, leaseholds yes. property in this country. in this in this country but if they want to buy freehold properties you yes. can incorporate a company okay. and own the company and by, by yeah by proxy okay. but as an individual yes a foreigner cannot own a freehold property in Kenya okay yes so it's it's in good that that our audience gets to understand that there is a distinction between uh, freehold land um, even the transfer process I believe looks very different one from one to the next so perhaps uh, just to recap Buyable essentially just means it can be bought and that then precludes the likelihood of purchasing any forms of public land that would be forests, national parks, uh, lands that have been designated for public use like schools or markets, that sort of thing. We have precluded communal land and even land that is designated for you know public protection and interest like repair and reserves, road reserves, easements for public utilities like electricity and so on. So, you know, I think it's important, dear listeners, that we understand those particular properties are not quote-unquote viable as they do not 
not fall within the description of private land and as such it would be a bad idea to attempt to purchase such property you know unless you're not averse to the prospect of crying what in kenya we call premium tears um, now monica perhaps you know because we have an understanding of what sort of property can be acquired for private ownership i'm sure our listeners could benefit of course you've, you've kind of i think already gone through that you know the different forms of land tenure because they do impact you know ownership rights and privileges so purchasing property involves uh, the transfer of ownership from a seller to a buyer and the registration of the ownership of the property in the names of the person acquiring it and that be the buyer and that these processes you know are established by law and regulations governing land transactions uh, in the country so ultimately you know this is going to be the full extent of this conversation and we're going to look at this in in more elaborate detail however maybe before we do that and now that we have a basic idea of the forms of tenure and or, or ownership you know title either being absolute in in which case that's freehold land or conditional uh, subject to the rules imposed on the land by the authorities and that would be leasehold we are now able to determine land or property generally that is available for purchase by private individuals so the next question that follows is this if i wish to buy land or property and i have found an offer that has perhaps piqued my interest uh, what are the things i ought to do not just to ensure that the property is quote-unquote viable but also that it meets with the expectations of what i intended to purchase and and perhaps maybe i could clarify a little bit about this my intention is to buy say a five acre uh, parcel of land or a ten acre parcel of land and I want to purchase it from the person who has presented themselves as the seller. So what are the things I need to take into account before I even engage with the seller of the property? Perhaps before, actually before I engage with the seller of the property in a transaction to acquire that property. All right, so that part you're referring to is called due diligence. Due diligence is ideally the practice of making sure that this property is, like we said in the beginning, viable. It's a property you will buy and you will acquire a good and clean title. So the first step is identifying the property. You as the buyer, you identify the property that you're interested in. Number two, you do a site visit. After you do a site visit, a site visit, now you make sure you are shown the boundaries, the beacons are the ones that demarcate the boundaries of the property. So at that step, and this is in practice, I would officially say now at this point, get an advocate. Because you don't want to proceed and do due diligence twice. Because when you do it on your own, you will still need the advocate to confirm or rather affirm that the property is okay. So the third step is now get an advocate on board. An advocate also, when you bring in an advocate, the first step they do, since you've already done a set visit on your own, identify the property, is give something called a letter of intent. A letter of intent is sent to the seller or the advocates of the seller, ideally the seller. This letter of intent shows that you are interested in purchasing their property and ideally requests for the documents of this property, which include a copy of the title, a copy of the deed plan, a copy of the survey map, you know, a copy of any documents associated with this particular property. The letter of intent also can quote the offer, alright? Because, yes, the monetary part, because you don't want to do due diligence and then the offer that you're giving is, you know, you don't agree on the payment terms or the purchase price, in which case you will have spent funds on due diligence and you will not end up buying the property. So sometimes the letter of intent, actually in most uh, cases, the letter of intent goes hand in hand with the letter of offer. 
Uh, Monica, I guess I wanted a clarification. So let me stop you and ask who actually prepares the letter of offer? I ask because I have seen instances where a prospective buyer, with the knowledge that the seller has given you know, his or her mandate to his or her agent, you know, instructs the agent to present the terms of the offer to the seller and his or you know, his or her advocates. Is this standard practice? And indeed, you know, who should bear the responsibility for presenting the letter of offer? No, the buyer. The buyer and their, or the, their agent. In this case, the advocate of the buyer. The advocate the of buyer. the buyer, yes. So, they, so when you say, you know, we're talking about two different things. When you talk about an agent, an agent can be an advocate, but an ad, for purposes of this discussion, let's say an agent is the person who has been given the mandate to sell the property who is not necessarily an advocate. An advocate is an advocate. So when I say representation, I mean an advocate who has you know, being brought on board by the buyer to represent them in this transaction. Or even say an agent who has been brought on board by the buyer to represent them in this transaction. Yes. Yes. So they will give a letter of offer and letter of intent asking number one for the documents of this property to allow them to conduct due diligence and number two giving the offer uh, for this particular property. You see if the offer is accepted then it means you can proceed to do due diligence confidently knowing uh, that accepted that this amount of money because due diligence includes money right so you don't want to spend money. Yeah, you're going to spend money with a surveyor. Exactly you don't want to spend money and then come back to negotiating and the offer is yes right so now assuming now the, the seller's agent or the seller as advocate or the seller themselves have accepted then they have sent you the documents now you do know what is called now the other part of due diligence right so now this one i said now you already have an advocate to bring on board a surveyor a surveyor basically goes back to the site to do a survey obviously with so the buyer but you are, and also to affirm that the beacons that you are shown are the ones they are showing the surveyor so his job is to confirm that the property if as we, we use an example you're buying a one acre is to yeah. confirm that where the beacons are total up or add up to an acre because with your eyesight with you know plain eyes you're unable to identify that it's completely an acre it could be an acre bigger than an acre or lesser you know from an acre so a surveyor is supposed to record yes to help with that process and it is important a surveyor also helps to do a search in the survey of kenya with the maps to make sure that the maps are registered although the subdivision as it was done the property where it's demarcated actually exists in the survey of kenya you know map yeah map plan so that's where now you know that's essentially the work of the surveyor in your transaction so assuming that the surveyor says that everything is okay we now proceed to now do assert the documents that you will have been given after sending the letter of intent it will include a copy of a certificate of title copy or copy of certificate of lease so now you go to the respective land uh, registry and then do a search, a search of the property a search of the property shows what the green card looks like the green card is a document that is owned uh, that is kept by the land registrar in respect of that particular property that shows that you know historical ownership up to the current owner so when you do a search a search number one shows you who is the current owner of the property what did they acquire that property are there any encumbrances on that property encumbrances just means uh, is there a charge is there a caution is there yeah. a caveat on I, that I property exactly uh, instrument that would deter yes Yes, or any other third party rights that have been registered against that property. So the the search ideally would you know would show would reveal all this. So that is you know a search is important. A search also it's good to to note that a search is only valid for three months because so much could have changed in that period of time. So if someone gives you a search that is is older, ideally do a search when you're doing the transaction because you say you say three months because a transaction the basic or the, the the legal duration of a transaction 
duration is 90 days that is why we say a search should be valid for three months because in within 90 days a transaction should have been complete which means a new owner would have been registered naturally, naturally. Yeah. that is why we say you know 90 days there's something else i should mention apart from doing a search property there's something called the dongo report dongo report is the commission you remember the commission a while back that report was it's a commission that was given the mandate to do a thorough inspection on properties and identify any properties that have any historical injustices or irregularities this would mean uh, probably a property that has been flagged because it was owned by a widow and she was disposed yes. by her son yes or- relatives of her husband yes kind of yes those are things okay. we call now the historical injustices so it's also important to just maybe take a look at the Nungo report your advocate is able to check whether that your property you know sorry i have a question oh, please is the Nungo land report his commission did is it a public document it is yeah and i'm curious to know where would one be able to get it from um kenya law reports you should be able to find it somewhere there yeah okay. yeah yeah Thanks. or now we have the adisasa platform so i think it should be somewhere somewhere there yeah it's good for the public i think to be aware yeah because there are sources of information and i think a lot of things but are just not aware of them yeah or they don't know where they can actually find some of this information so please proceed okay so the search we, we were at the search so the search is now remember we said the property number one is private owned but also private also could also mean is owned by a company so if the property is owned by a company uh, you you need to do a company search because you need to identify you know a company now a company is owned by directors so you need to identify that you're dealing with the directors of the company not anyone purporting to be a director of the company so you need to do also a company search at sharia house you know with the company's registry to ensure that you have the cr12 and you identify who are the directors of this particular i have another interesting question for you. yes so there, there are those ones that are owned by individuals yes and i believe this would be vastly what you would be seeing out there if you mentioned the market david is selling a property and monica is one who's interested now how do you go about verifying that david is who david says he is that was because we also have yes. <laughs> we also have some challenges there no? yes uh, when people are forging documents and that kind of thing yeah so please but. so now that one there's something called due diligence in regards to documents it's not very common yeah. but um you know to identify david our as david yeah. our major form of identification as a country is an id so you ask for an original id if you want to do to go the extra mile and do the background you know search you need to go to what is it called NSSF. yes i know there's a national registration of persons exactly and confirm that this person yeah, is the owner of this identification card or identification I, I number yes exactly it does so if you want to go the extra mile you can now do that but the, our form of identification is a national id so you need to look at the original id of this particular person if it's a company a certificate of incorporation that you will cross check from the company's registry yes then there's when in, in the you know documents part you need to see the original title essentially most people into the naked eye are unable to tell the difference between a, a fake title and an original title True. but a professional would be able to see so insist that your advocate sees the original title before you proceed yes so now that's the part of due diligence so if everything that we've talked about checks out then you go to the next part of now the contract hey monica so uh, let me stop you at that point i feel like you know we have more or less taking a really good stab at making sure we have covered all our bases you know the process of due diligence is fundamentally about removing any risk that may be associated with uh, a property acquisition so it's good so far you know 
we have established that the property is viable, quote unquote, and that we are not illegally attempting to purchase, you know, land outside the jurisdiction of what is described as privately owned land. You know, Hatununui Mbuga, Hatunui Shamba Lawanyama National Park, Amashamba Lotengewa barabara mahuduma kwa raia so you know anything that's public land so we have also established and independently authenticated the particulars of the property in terms of its size and location uh, using a surveyor to confirm these particulars we've also confirmed any portion of the land that may be reserved for easements or other public goods like uh, riparian reserves or road reserves etc we've talked about the authentication of of the property and have confirmed that the person purporting to sell the land to us is the legally registered uh, property owner and we've also confirmed if there are any encumbrances or third party rights that interfere with the transfer of the property and maybe lastly we have also authenticated that the legally registered owner of the property is who they claim to be and we even have a historical reference via a search of when they acquired the property and even perhaps from whom they acquired it from. So maybe at this point, can we say at this point that we have completed all due diligence measures or is there something else that requires to be checked off or confirmed or for that matter even authenticated? Well, the other thing or when it comes, because we're talking about due diligence in, in essence of both tenures and remember that this hold has the rates and the rent, you can go, you need to go to the county council office where the rates are paid and confirm that this property has been registered. Any yes, has any outstanding, number one, that it has been registered in this particular person's name. That's also another form of confirming that this person owns the property because if they are the owner of the property, then they are the ones who are paying the rates of this property and that means it would reflect that they are the owners of that property. property. Yes. And also number two, if it has any outstanding rates. Yes, but that, yes. So and I know that if there are outstanding rent, uh, rent areas, for example, because a lot of, I think a lot of buyers tend to go into default. I've seen the lists when they publish them, when they're offering waivers, or when they're telling people your, your leases are going to be cancelled yeah. in the media. Those lists tend to be very long. So that means that a lot of people are not necessarily paying regularly. What is the evidence that, that a seller be required to produce and if in the event that they do not have but you still are interested in purchasing the property what should happen so this one now goes to the part of completion the document is supposed to give you is something called a a rates clearance certificate a rates clearance certificate uh once you are given a document you need to go to the rates office and confirm that it's an, it's, it's an authentic document because it can be a fake one so you go to the rates office and confirm that the document in respect of that property is authentic which means that the property is up to par the rates have been paid so assuming we have rates areas and you're still interested in the property yeah. you can come up into you can come to a gentleman's agreement the amount of money i'm paying you for purchase price i less the rates payment okay. so I take some of that amount, go to the rates office, and we get a rates clearance certificate. Yeah, because I'm aware that the transfer cannot happen before. Yes, uh, one of the completion documents are, is yeah. a rates clearance certificate. Okay. Yes, yes. Sorry. Uh, 
there's something before we go to the next thing before we started you were asked about the people in diaspora when it comes to due diligence how can they make sure they're protected yes. it's very simple the only way to protect yourself you see now you're in diaspora which means number one you cannot do a physical site visit yes you cannot do all that stuff hire professionals in the first episode i said even if you're hiring professional make sure you do background checks on these professionals so that yes. you make sure that your advocate is an advocate your surveyor is a registered surveyor so that they have your best interests at heart and they are ethical mm. so people are diaspora then the best you can do is to hire an advocate to do to conduct this transaction for you make sure you give them an instruction note and they sign yeah. an instruction note to say that they actually did exactly this. because they can face a liability they can face in case they yeah, mislead you a surveyor once you give a surveyor once you give a surveyor that work insist on a surveyor's report that is signed and stamped by their office that yes. maybe is accompanied by their practicing certificate or is it license yes, yes. Okay. insist on those things the so same if you ask exactly so that you are able to follow up uh, in case something goes wrong you are able to have evidence to show i actually had given uh, this these, instructions the instructions i had given exactly and this is what they actually sent me yes so that now you so see if there are misrepresentations in there then you can actually also sue them or pursue some litigation against exactly. or make a claim against, against them, them. Okay. because now this your advocate becomes your representative your surveyor becomes your representative here yes. which means what you're trusting their word when you're doing this okay yes okay guys so that's going to be a wrap for this particular episode as you can tell we haven't come to the conclusion of this conversation so remember to catch the upcoming episode where we will delve even further into the process of acquiring property in Kenya. Bookmark this episode and remember to subscribe so you can get notified of the upcoming episodes. Specifically, if you caught this one for episode number five, where Monica and I shall address the remaining parts of the process of transfer property from a seller to a buyer of real estate property in Kenya. Of course, we hope that in the course of this conversation, you learned something new. As always, send us any questions you may have, your comments, your feedback. Include in there any topics of interest you may want to see featured here. Again, dear listener, I request you to share this with your friends, rate it and leave us a review wherever you come across it. You will be supporting our work with keeping this podcast alive. So remember to also connect with us on our social media handles included in the description of this podcast. If you or even someone you know has a story in the real estate space in Kenya that can inspire, inform and educate, uh, reach out to us via our podcast guest form and tell us a little bit about yourself and the topics you'd like to discuss. We'd love to hear from you. So just send us an email or send us a WhatsApp message and we'll pick up the conversation from there. Lastly, you can support this production financially by contacting our marketing team to advertise on the podcast or through your generous giving by using the links in the description of this podcast. Thank you so much for your love and support. Again, totally appreciate it. Catch you on the next episode.